When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, a Citymetric podcast. I'm John. About a year ago, I got an email from an American guy called Jeff Woods. Jeff runs a consultancy called The Overhead Wire, which you might be aware of in some way, even if you don't know it as a consultancy, you might be aware of his kind of daily newsletter or, or, the, or the news website he puts out called the, uh, the Direct Transfer. Or maybe you even listen to, to his podcast, Talking Headways, where he talks about transit issues in, in the American context. Anyway, Jeff got in touch to say he was going to be in London and did want to meet up. So we did that. We met for a drink in, in King's Cross, the, the district of London where I, where I live, which is conveniently by some stations. So, you know, it really set the tone. Um, and yeah, we had nice, nice evenings just drinking and chatting about nerdy transport issues as you do. And then last May, we bumped into each other again in Montreal, where we were both attending the, the UITP, uh, Global Transport Summit, which is, you know, this enormous transport summit full of like, you know, some of the, some of the stuff going on there was so technical and nerdy that even I couldn't quite get behind it. There's lots of stuff about wheels and that kind of thing. But, you know, we, we went, we went out for a couple more beers and we were chatting about, I was explaining, I think, the whole Metro Mayor's thing at far, far too great a detail for, for anyone, really. And, and Jeff was telling me about many of the issues in, in US transit debates and we just thought, well, We've both got podcasts. Why don't we do like a crossover episode? In fact, let's do two crossover episodes. So, so this what you're about to hear is the first of those. Uh, this, this week, I'm I'm going to be asking Jeff a lot of questions about uh, the public transport debate in America. Why why some cities have good networks but most don't? Whether that's likely to change? What some of the political concerns are? And, and yeah, Jeff is basically going to sort of school me on a lot of things that, that I don't already know. So enjoy. Hey, John, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? We've been we've been trying to set this up for a while. We finally we finally actually got organized. So so this is this is a great time. How are you doing? Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of my fault too, because I think the first time we tried to set it up, I think I slept through. <laughs> I slept through the the connection time, so this is I'm the difficulty of uh, doing anything yeah. with an eight hour time difference. But you know, we've, and also it's you know we 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 came up with this idea uh, about three beers in and a bar in in Montreal back in May. So so you know every, everything seems simple after a couple of beers, and we didn't think we'd actually have to get up in the morning or work later or anything. But you know, we got there in the end. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
So I figured what what I'd be interested in is just kind of asking you questions about about the U.S. U.S. public transport policy or, or transit, as you guys would would have it, just because it's it, it. Like I live in London, where you know public transport is you know it's just how the city works. Like if you live in in London, you generally you don't drive anywhere. It's quite weird to have a car because it's so easy to get everywhere by tube or bus or train or whatever it is. And and my understanding is that's not historically how a lot of cities in the US have worked. Like there's maybe half a dozen with decent transit networks, but generally speaking, like you're a very car based nation and and you're you're all about changing that, right? So I'm just kinda of curious to hear your take on, on the state of the the debate out there and whether we're ever gonna see significant transit networks growing up in, in American cities that have perhaps not had them in the past. Oh man, I wish we would. Um I think to get to the level of what London has right now, I think there's a lot, a lot of work to do. Um, by the way, I love going to London and visiting. And uh, the last time I went, um, you know, the, my favorite thing was probably the contactless payment systems where people were just using their credit cards to hop on the, the tube, um, which was quite amazing. But we don't really, you know, we have contactless cards, but they're mostly, you know, cards that people load money onto. And then um, I guess like Oyster um, you'd load money on them and, um, and then you, <laughs> and then, and then you run out of money and you have to load it up again. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's weird. The things, that are, cool. the things that are different, like we, we've had this thing over here called chip and pin for years. Have you guys had that? Cause I know you didn't for a while. We're like, we're basically you just have like a four digit number that you type in to use your cards. Whereas like, no, we, the stage, I, you guys have to sign for everything, right? right? Yeah, we have to sign for everything, which is weird because nobody ever checks it either. <laughs> so, but we have chips now, but they're awful and they're horrible and they don't work anything like they do in Europe. So you, you'd be standing there for like five minutes waiting for the card to be recognized in the, in the card reader. <laughs> so there's all kinds of crazy stuff that we are so far behind on. Which, which is um, weird because you, you, you guys are the ones, you're the biggest economy in the world. You've got all the money. How are you so far behind on this stuff? Like, you know. Oh, it's you know, it's it's we're slow to adopt things. You know, it's the 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 curse of of us, I guess. We we don't do things very quickly. Wait for a while, or wait till somebody else does it for some things, like like the chip cards. Because I remember going to Europe back in, I guess it was my parents lived in Rotterdam for a year in the Netherlands, and um, that was uh, th- I, I remember then. You know, they had chip cards, so. Um, I, at least I, at least I think I remember that they had chip cards and it was so impressive, but not, not now, you know, and, and, and like the last year or so is when we were finally getting them here. So, but back to your original question, I, I guess, you know, transit, transit in the United States is, or, or public transport, as you call it, is kind of a funny thing because there's the big five and then there's a bunch of smaller cities. And then for the most part, many places it's seen as something that's only for the poor or folks that don't have a car. And if you don't have a car, you're seen as kind of low on the totem pole in terms of status. There's lots of car commercials where, you know, they make fun of people riding bikes or they test your, your masculinity. If you're, <laughs> you know, in a, in a commercial for like a, a women's fragrance or something along those lines. Um, but the big five are the ones that are really the, the majority of transit ridership in the United States. And, and by the big five, I mean New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, San Francisco, and, and Washington, D.C. And those are the ones that actually have somewhat established transit systems. So some would argue that San Francisco's isn't very good. I might argue that as well sometimes, but it has pretty good coverage. So there's this whole discussion now about bus networking, 
um, you know, rethinking our bus networks because we're not necessarily going to build subways in in a lot of cities because they're just so expensive. As as you all know from you know building Crossrail, and as we all know from building things like the billion dollar a mile Central Subway here in San Francisco or um, the Second Avenue Subway in New York City, the costs just aren't justified for a lot of people in 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 certain areas. So I mean, part of the problem seems to be that. By the time you get to a city like New York or San Francisco or London, like prop, like land prices are just so high that anything you can do underneath a building is also going to be extra expensive because of the cost of the real estate you, you might be disturbing, right? Yeah, and it's that. And, and then, you know, we have these debates online. I know that uh, a guy here that tweets a lot called named Market Urbanism, uh, Stephen Smith, and also Elon Levy, who I believe has written for City Metric before. I think so. Yeah, Is that yeah, true? Yeah, he's, he's written this a couple of quite... He writes really wonkish stuff about different forms of, of RER railway and stuff like that. I love his stuff. Just gets so nerdy. It's like... Yeah, it's super nerdy. And he's, he talks a lot about, you know, those two talk a lot, a lot, a lot about why the subways are so expensive. And, and a lot of times we can't really figure out why. Um, you know, there's just so many little different issues that pop up that make them so expensive. And, you know, here in the Bay Area, it's so funny because we, we're building a central subway that's going from the giant stadium, which is the baseball stadium underneath, I think it's fourth street to Union Square, which is kind of the main major attraction for tourists when they come into town and it's the shopping center, et cetera, to Chinatown. Well, you know, that's not necessarily the best route we could have done, um, but it was a political bargain made by the Chinatown merchants when they tore down the Embarcadero Freeway after the 1989 earthquake. So in San Francisco, we have these things called earthquakes. <laughs> and and in 1989, we had a fairly big one that kind of collapsed, uh, pancaked a, a freeway on the other side of, of the bay in Oakland. And they were worried about, you know, that damage, you know, uh, reaching over to the Embarcadero Freeway, which covered our waterfront. And the Embarcadero Freeway was basically an off-ramp for the main freeway into Chinatown. And the Chinatown merchants weren't super happy about that. So what happened is they decided that, you know, they were going to, you know, pull the political arms uh, of, of the mayor at the time, Willie Brown, and make a political deal and get the Central Subway uh, built. Well, that's not necessarily the best <laughs> use of our money, but now we're spending a billion dollars a mile on a, on a subway which has two car trains and uh and also had to go underneath the existing BART tube and and it's caused a lot of uh you know a lot of uh, issues for merchants in Union Square but it, when you know when it opens it'll be interesting but you always get these kind of political bargains somewhere down the line don't you i mean like i remember so you mentioned london's crossrail which is the 15 billion pound heavy rail line which they they they're almost they're putting the finishing touches on it now but it's going to run from east to west london through this like tunnel right underneath the center and it's it's been quite a big engineering project there are places where it's literally you've got like less than a meters clearance between existing lines on either side it's been a very expensive thing but i remember it's also been talked about for for decades and seriously talked about for at least 25 years like it, it will it will cover the line i grew up on out in in sort of london's eastern suburbs and the version of the line that got talked about in the early 90s is not the one we're actually getting and that's because they've added branches to serve Canary Wharf because this thing would not be getting built if it didn't have quite a lot of support from from the business community. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm just saying like I kind of feel like if if you want this this stuff to be built to the pure without sort of compromises to some kind of factional interest or another, then you can go play SimCity. You can't do it in real life, can you? <laughs> 
<laughs> this is true. There's always going to be compromises and, and uh, things like that. But at the same time, I do think that here in the San Francisco context, you know, the, the line that's been needing, you know, to be built for a long time is Geary. And they told us that they wouldn't want to do light rail because uh, we can do BRT for cheaper and faster. And 20 years later, and it's not built. So, so BRT, um, bus you know, rapid transit, right? Like, yes, bus rapid transit. Buses yeah. pretending they're, to be trams when they're really just buses. <laughs> when they're really just buses. But they have their own lanes, and so they operate probably swiftly through uh, areas that have high traffic. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing to see what gets built and why. And I've been looking at this for a long time with different tram lines in the United States. And, you know, the, the tram, quote-unquote, you know, light, light rail transit, LRT, um, here in the United States is what we're calling, you know, tramways. But we also have streetcars. I, I got into a, a Twitter argument recently about streetcars as well, which is also another fun discussion to have, you know, whether they're worthwhile or not, because we've built a few that are less than 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 great at their performance numbers so far. Um, street streetcars you know, are they just what we call trams or like? Yeah, so well, light rail and and streetcars are kind of what you call trams, but streetcars for the most part, people's definition of them today are, are ones that operate in mixed traffic with other uh, vehicles. So you could have a streetcar in the same, um, you know, on the same street as a, as a car or the buses or whatever other vehicles. Um, so you have them in places like Seattle and Portland have uh, new, fairly new streetcars. Atlanta has one that's been a, a horrible ridership numbers because it just got built. You know, you're talking about the support from the business community. Well, this one doesn't goes from downtown to kind of nowhere uh, at the moment. And they want to build a network, but it's the first piece of it. So it's not doing super well. I mean, then you have Kansas City and, and Cincinnati and, and other cities in, in the Midwest that have thought about building streetcars as well. So, But then you have light rail. So light rail is the, kind of like a tramway where you have a dedicated right-of-way. Um, you can think of you know uh, Paris's tram tram network in that respect. And uh, we've built them in Houston and, and uh, you know Seattle and Portland and Los Angeles in Minneapolis and Charlotte in Denver, in Phoenix. So there's lots of cities that have built, you know, they can't build subways because they're so expensive, but we have built light rail. And those, a lot of those have been fairly successful depending on whether they, you know, hit their initial political connections with all the business districts that, that are in the cities. And actually, I, I wrote a po- paper about this a number of years ago that, you know, ridership is determined on, on employment centers. The number of employment centers that you hit is the number of uh, is the amount of ridership that you'll get, but there's still some lines in the United States, or, or at least uh, some politics in the United States, that keeps us from putting these lines in the in the right places. Can we can we take a step back and talk about? I mean, you you called it the Big Five, and then you listed six cities, which really weirded me out. So I'm kind of wondering which, which didn't count. My money's on Philly. Did I, did I list six cities? I think so. Yeah, New York, Chicago, Washington, Philly, San Francisco, Boston. Yeah, six. So. Oh, okay. I, sh- I shouldn't have added Washington in there, actually. Ah, uh, okay. That's... That was my fault. That was my fault. I mean, it's, the, the, actually, what? Just this is this is just a, 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 a footnote, but like it, it stuns me quite how much everyone in Washington hates the Washington subway. Like it's really loathed by residents, isn't it? And like, it's, it, I just I've never heard anyone talk about it without complaining. I don't know if I've I've ever heard any transit system in the United States be talked about without complaining. <laughs> Honestly, I was on a I was on a um, a train that got stopped for technical issues, like maybe like two blocks from my house, and 
Um, and I, I heard a, a guy say, you know, you know, this would never happen in, in Boston where they are from. And I was like, well, it happens all the time in Boston. This is something that <laughs> happens everywhere in the United States because we're bad on our on our maintenance and our backlog. And there's actually a big fight recently on, on online um, in the news. Uh, you know, New York and, and Washington, D.C. are having all these issues with their subways this summer. And Rahm Emanuel, who's the who's the you know former uh, Obama uh, chief of staff and, and also now the mayor of Chicago, wrote a an article being like hey look at us we we repaired our stuff and you guys didn't so we're better <laughs> than you <laughs> and then everybody shoots back like you know you're an idiot blah, blah 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 so it's kind of an interesting discussion but but yeah the big five i apologize for that that's my fault that i added uh washington dc I'm, I'm just being uh, i'm just being kind of asshole who questions these things <laughs> but the, what i was going to ask was I mean, I mean, like, okay, a lot of those are kind of the big cities and the sort of the older part of the U.S., right? But I'm wondering why did these cities get build up around transit in a way that uh, other cities didn't? Like, why, why, why have you got a network in Chicago or in Boston, but not in like Los Angeles or Seattle, say? Well, that's funny because Los Angeles actually had the largest railway system in the world at one point, but it was all streetcars, and so it got ripped out when you know buses came into fashion back in the you know 40s 50s and 60s you know the reason why a lot of these cities have their transit networks is because they built them before the automobile existed and they had the density before the automobile existed these are all legacy cities in the united states philadelphia you know one of our oldest cities um, new york obviously is you know our largest city but also a lot of those lines were built before the automobile was even a even a thing so um and, and if they're elevated in their subways it's really hard to replace that with a bus so here in San Francisco, for example, we had streetcars all over the city as well, and we actually were the first city in the United States to publicly take over our our, our networks. Um, you know, most of them were private, and they in a lot of cities and places waited till um you know those those uh, companies went bankrupt before they took them over. But we took them over really pretty early on. But the reason why we still have light rail that goes to the different parts of the city is because we have tunnels that we built or exclusive right of way that we have. So coming to my house is the J Church and we have a right of way that goes up by a park and you can't it's so steep that you can't really replace it with a bus. So they just kept the train. So the reason why we still have trains in San Francisco is because we have hills (laughs) and we have tunnels. And the same thing for many other cities uh, in the United States. The only one that's kind of an outlier that was, you know, the sixth one of the big five is D.C., where they built their Great Society subway in the in the 60s and 70s. So and continuing on to, to recent expansions. Um, so how did I mean, I guess that's the obvious question. I can see why New York or Boston or Philly or Chicago ended up with these big networks. So you've explained San Francisco. And I realize a lot of a lot of the big cities in, in the modern U.S. are relatively recent, like Houston is one of your biggest cities and that's really ballooned in the last 50 years or whatever Mm -hmm. which is obviously the age of the car plus it's an oil capital so you know that all makes sense to me why how is it that dc managed to build a metro within living memory what did it do right well they you know lyndon johnson he wanted the you know something that could connect uh, parts of the city and you know at that time they were actually building they actually wanted to build subway networks around the United States, and that's how we got BART, right? And that's how we got uh, Atlanta's uh, MARTA, you know, system, and that's how we got, you know, the DC Metro. And and there were other cities that were looking at it as well. Seattle was looking at it. Minneapolis was looking at it. There's actually some really great um, reports. And my my master's thesis in in grad school was actually the politics of of light rail in Austin or rail in Austin, and 
to to do this research, I actually went back and looked at some. Uh, there's a there's there used to be an, an office in D.C. called the Office of Technology Assessment, and they did reports on planning issues. and And they wrote these reports about the idea for building subways in a number of cities in the United States uh, in the 50s and 60s. You know where the idea came from, what what uh, they decided to do finally, and um, in the, the final results. And you know the only ones that were built was BART and MARTA and uh, and uh, the DC Metro. And those other cities, they decided not to because it was too expensive or because it was um, it was you know they were too not dense enough. And and now those cities actually have you know light rail systems, but they don't have the metros that you know probably would have been a better fit for them. And 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 Seattle's starting to get there because they're building uh, subways through through downtown. And actually their subway. Um, that's actually, you know, light rail because it runs, you know, on the surface through the southern part of the city. But, you know, when you get to downtown and it connects the University of Washington, they cut the transit trip down dramatically to five minutes from like 20 minutes or something like that. So the ridership has been really high. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And th- But that's a function of they have... They're on an isthmus <laughs> with water on all sides and uh, a, a pretty hilly, um, you know, situation. So um, it's, it's just, just e- interesting. The economics it, stack up more just because you can't keep right. building roads there. Is that the point? Right. You can't keep building roads in a place like Houston, in, which is, you know, where I grew up. They have light rail as well. And it actually took a lot to get there because, you know, at one point they were thinking about building a monorail because the water table is really high. Houston's, you know, right on the Gulf of Mexico. So um, the water table is really high. And so if you get to, you know, if you start to dig underneath the ground, you're going to get to water real quick. Um, so they were like, oh, let's do a monorail instead. And then um, um, Mayor Bob Lanier came in and just quashed the whole idea and, and, and transit for a while. So the bus systems got built up. Houston is an interesting example because they actually built a ton of freeways, like a ton of freeways. When I, when I was a kid, that seems like, you know, there was never ending freeway construction when I, you know, cause I grew up there. And, um, it, it was interesting because they actually used federal transportation dollars to build these HOV lanes. Um, and if you've ever been there and been on one of the major freeways, you'll see in the center of the freeways, there's these high occupancy vehicle lanes, which carry the buses from all the suburbs into downtown and into other parts of the city. Um, so they actually spent some of their transit money on, on, on freeways, <laughs> which is a really fascinating thing. That does seem to kind of typify my, my mental image of Houston, I have to say. Um, so... <laughs> 
As you've mentioned, like there are a number of, of kind of mid-sized US cities that are kind of looking at some form of transit now, like light rail or streetcars or whatever it may be. What's brought that on? Why, why are cities now kind of, in, in, in however small a way, why are they now talking about this? Well, for a long time, you know, there's, there's a, obviously, from the, I don't want to talk too much about politics, but obviously from the recent election, you can see the differences between, you know, urban places and rural places or even suburban places. And the urban places feel congested. They feel, they feel like they want to change and they want to be more um, accessible without the automobile. And so in the last, you know, since the 1980s, really, um, there's been a lot of cities who are focused on trying to connect people with the places they want to be, which is, you know, working downtown or whether it's uh, in entertainment or whatever. And so they started thinking about how to do that on a on a budget without building a subway. They knew that they needed transportation. And so actually the light rail movement in the United States was a function of trying to find a cheaper alternative to the subways of the 50s and 60s that the, you know, were part of the great society and, and the that that era of transit um, um, development, which, by the way, in in the Bay Area, you know, it was basically meant as a system to build up uh, San Francisco as the banking capital of the West. New York had it on the you know, on the East Coast, and and San Francisco wanted to be that for the West Coast, and so they devised a plan to build this subway in order to build up the density of San Francisco, which actually worked. And now San Francisco is a banking capital, and also also oh, it was um, it was, it was know, about attaining density in a way you can't in a car-based city it wasn't about right because you wanted to funnel yeah yeah. for for a second there i thought you were just saying hey if we want bankers we need subways bankers love subways (laughs) no it was a way to get the it was a way to get the density although i guess it attracted a few bankers (laughs) but but that was the rationale was you know they wanted to become the banking capital and banking i guess was an agglomeration type of, of business where you had if you have a lot of people in the same space um, they can do, you know, lots of, of, of good, good or bad things, I guess. Um, but, you know, going back to, to the construction of light rail, you know, a lot of cities have decided that they, if they want to be a quote unquote world class city, they need to have a quote unquote world class transit system. But they're not going to get to the point of a Paris or a London or even um, a Tokyo or um, a Hong Kong. But they, they can do something that, that is smaller and in, in, in scale, but still, you know, tries to get them to that point of being a city that people should recognize. So even Houston has light rail between its major medical center and downtown, which is actually one of the highest ridership, you know, new light rail lines in the United States because it connects so many jobs. And the medical center is the biggest in the world. I mean, people come from all over the world to get cancer treatment at the Houston Medical Center. So um, it's one of those things where, you know, you connect your major employment centers and you can actually say, hey, look, we're doing something about transportation. But there's been also a movement uh, to change the bus networks, too. So Houston just reorganized uh, its bus network um, in order to kind of get more frequency and, you know, get people thinking about riding the bus again, which has been an interesting process in in, in Houston and in other cities that are starting to do it. I'm, I'm curious, what's what's your sense of how much do you know about public transport in, in Britain? Because my suspicion is that, like, as an American, you're kind of, you, your, your mind will go to, like, London, and you possibly won't think of, like, what's going on elsewhere in the country quite so much. Yeah, that's my, that's, you know, I'm biased because of where I visited, which is um, London and Aberdeen and Cambridge. <laughs> most Most European cities will have something. Like, you know, even quite a small European city will have 
a decent kind of tram network or something. And actually, mm. I, I think we're, Britain is one of the, as in so many senses, Britain is one of the worst countries in Europe at this stuff. And it's kind of easy to miss that because public transport in London is, is so good. But in a lot of the kind of the, the mid-table cities, there is there is almost nothing. Like we deregulated, we, every every back back in the day, every city would have its own tram network, and that was replaced by municipal bus networks. And then those got deregulated in the 80s. And since when you've just got you have routes like I don't know Oxford Road in Manchester is one that leaps to mind, which is this main road through the south of the city, through the university district, which has so many different bus companies competing for customers on there because there are so many people who want public transport on that route. But there are other bits of the city where you will be waiting hours for anything. And Manchester is actually far from far from the worst here because you know Manchester has successfully built up its own tram network over the last thirty years. But there are cities in, like, you know, Birmingham where that's basically all there is. Or, like, Leeds, Leeds Bradford is, is, I think I'm right in saying, the biggest city in Europe that doesn't have any problem, any form of transit network at all. It's like a million people in that conurbation and there's just nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, when I read, you know, City Metric, there's all these new instances of, of interesting things that pop up, especially the privatization of buses where there's a ton of companies that are, are serving the same route, which... In the United States, I know that there's a lot of libertarians that would love that. They, they are all about forces, trying yeah. to trying trying to do that and see, you know, who you can serve. And I think we're seeing that a little bit with the rise of, um, you know, TNCs, tra- transportation network companies like uh, Uber and Lyft, where they're they're building their own little um, buses and, you know, using cars, but technology-wise, they have routes and things now. Um, and and so, you know, the worry is always that you're, you know, the transit agency is already in a perilous position because it's because it's not the first choice of a lot of riders. So, you know, there's a worry that they're going to skim off the top and then the transit agency is going to be on the hook for a larger and larger share of the subsidy for uh, serving the the public that needs to be served. And we have a lot of rules and regulations on our transit uh, agencies as well. So you have ADA requirements, which in the United States, the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, makes it so that everybody must be served. Obviously, that's a that's a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, if you're in a wheelchair or you have a, a disability, you, you are going to get some sort of service, which means, you know, we spend a lot of money on dial-a-ride and some other, uh, you know, paratransit services, but also, you know, retrofitting subways and, and, and a number of different, uh, you know, operations for buses. But we also have Title um, VI, which is, a, a, you know, civil rights, uh, you know, requirements as well, where you can't just not serve certain parts of the city because of race or, 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 um, or anything else. So there's a lot of things that are tagged to transit that aren't necessarily tagged to private companies, and, and the private companies will take advantage of it. I don't think Lyft and Uber have taken uh, too much uh, too many strides to try to serve the the dis- disabled community, um, and even today in New York City, um, you know, I, there's a the Transit Center, which is an advocacy group, uh, um, you know, philanthropy in in New York City. Um, you know, they they are you know discussing why New York City's subways uh, have such bad access by subway and I mean by uh, elevator, and part of that is because they're legacy systems and in, in the past, but th- this is something that that they need to fix because of the law. So I don't know how ADA or, or anything like that works in, in the UK, but in the United States, it's something that keeps transit agencies uh, kind of putting, putting things together and making sure that um, everything is, is, is attended to. I, I think I, I feel it's important to clarify here that you, you, you may have just implied that you don't think that Uber has a social conscience. And I, I, I don't think we can, 
<laughs> I, I think in the name of fairness, I mean, it's, obviously it's a very, you know, it's, 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 it, they think of nothing else but the well-being of the greatest, the greatest number, right? So, so I just, you know, I, I just feel the need to, to clarify that. Um, which, 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 you know, there'll be a lot of nerds listening to my podcast, obviously. Hi, guys. Um, which, which US cities do you think are kind of the most interesting to look at from, from a kind of uh, a transport policy perspective? Which ones are fun? Oh, gosh, there's so many fun cities. Right now, I think Seattle is so interesting because they're doing so much and they're actually there um, as opposed to, you know, the since gas prices have been going down, there's been a lot more driving in the United States and among a number of other factors, I'm, I'm sure as well. There's probably, you know, telecommuting and, and things like that. There's just like, a you know, there's probably a whole bunch of factors in the, the ridership dip that's been happening in the last couple of years. But Seattle has actually been able to raise their ridership into downtown and raise their ridership overall, which has been really fascinating to watch, especially since they are building their light rail system. They're doing, you know, different bus rapid transit schemes, rapid bus schemes. They've put a lot of money into their into their bus networks. Um, they also have ferries and things like that, which are kind of an interesting difference from them to other parts of the of the country. Um, but it's just fascinating to watch Seattle just because it's just becoming this place where people are going for new ideas, uh, you know, to look at what's happening there because they've been innovating so much. And, you know, Portland is, is always the kind of standard bearer for that generally, but Seattle's kind of, it feels like anyways, it's taken over the mantle, um, from, from Portland in that respect. And, and, you know, people say, have always said, you know, Portland's the most European city in, in uh, the United States. So that's kind of an interesting, you know, change for them, I think, you know, kind of looking back at portland and those two cities they hate each other i mean from a if you think about sport anyways <laughs> for, from soccer it's the biggest rivalry in in the in the country yeah football sorry yeah, yeah. actually the, um, the thing i find interesting about seattle is uh you know as as a kid you know this was pre-starbucks as a kid the two things i knew about seattle were it's where nirvana came from and it's where frazier was set and you know the 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 monorail pops up in Fraser a couple of times, so I kind of always envisioned it as this place of a whole monorail network, and it's just like this this tourist attraction, isn't it? It's just like it goes for like a kilometer <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's like one stop, I think. Um, and it, it, it's that's interesting because actually, you know, they've had their fits and starts too in terms of their politics of building more transit. They actually had this huge vote about building a, a, a citywide monorail, but then it it got knocked off. At some point, and they decided to build the light rail system. So um, they have had a bunch of fits and starts too. And they were one of the cities that I mentioned that had started thinking about building subways in in the 60s. I think it was called the Forward Thrust Plan. I'm I might be wrong. Some some I'm sure some uh, folks will correct me or yelling at their uh, at their at their radios right now or their phones. But um, but yeah, so they they wanted to build a subway early on, and they just couldn't get their act together, and they just couldn't figure out how to do it. So. There has been a lot of articles recently, I think, about, you know, Seattle's rail money going to Atlanta, uh, back in the sixties <laughs> to build their, their subway. And there's, there's a lot of salty, uh, folks about that. Um, oh, is there, is there a big Atlanta Seattle rivalry? Cause that's, that's geographically inconvenient as rivalries go. It's like, well, the whole United States is, is inconvenient as rivalries go. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times somebody from, uh, from Europe has said, Hey, I'm going to Los Angeles. Can I visit you in San Francisco? Well, no, it's like a six, seven hour drive <laughs> or an hour <laughs> flight. So it's, it, the, the, the spaces are, are vast. You know, it takes 12 hours to go from Denver to Austin, um, in, on, in a car. So that's, that's quite a, a trip. And I think our speed limits are faster as well <laughs> than, than Europe. So, 
Um, it's qu- it's quite a quite a vast space out there in the United States. You know, in if 50 years' time, you know, you're looking back at a long, very successful career, probably from a big house, in which you've been advocating <laughs> for, for for improved transit policy in the United States. Um, what what would you like to? How would you like the world to look then? Like, how, how what what would you like to have happened in in this domain that hasn't happened before? Yeah, that's a really good question. I. I in 50 years time, um, you know, given San Francisco real estate prices, it will probably be a small house. But <laughs> if I can get one, that would be amazing. Um, you know, I, I really have a different view on the future of the, of the transportation policy than I think a lot of people. And, and I wish that more people kind of held this view. But, you know, with the, with the advent of autonomous vehicles, I kind of think we're heading in the wrong direction and not from a technology standpoint from doing things autonomously, but from the size of the vehicle and our thinking about, you know, what, you know, the, the role of the automobile. I think one of the things that people are focusing so much on is replacing the existing uh, paradigm with a new paradigm that's just like the old paradigm, which is four door cars that drive people around. My hope would be that in New York City, in San Francisco, in the Loop in Chicago, I mean, even further out in these denser urban places that we get these bus networks that, you know, go by your house every two minutes. And because they're autonomous, we don't have to pay drivers, which is, you know, major cost is the, is the labor. Um, but basically every two minutes a bus goes by and you can hop on and go anywhere in the city that you want. You know, if there's a grid system, you can just hop on the next bus that comes across the street you're, you're getting to. And so I think that's going to be something that is a policy debate that could go either way, whether it's going to be four door vehicles that are running around the city, congesting the, the densest parts of the city or a network of transit that actually, you know, works for people and they pay, you know, maybe three two two fifty to $3 like they do today, but they're hopping on a bus that comes every two minutes and serves most of the city and the grid that it already exists. But it just happens to be more convenient because it comes more often. And maybe there's, you know, express lanes and things like that. Maybe we dedicate more, more right of way to transit vehicles that can get us to different places. Um, you know, there's this fantastical ideas of, of hyperloops and, 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 uh, flying cars and all that stuff that people here in Silicon Valley in California are super hyped about. But, you know, if we could just make the transit, you know, run better and, and more frequently, I think that a lot of people would adopt it. I think part of the problem right now is that, um, you know, it just doesn't come as frequently as it should. And, um, you know, I think people will, 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 Take a, a two dollar bus instead of a, a, a ten fifteen dollar Uber, although that probably will be reduced as well with um, autonomous vehicles. But you know, a bus only has to learn one route. Uh, these autonomous vehicles have to learn all of them. Yeah, we we had an interesting piece by uh, a guy called Jarrett Walker a while ago, who's a, 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 an American uh, consultant on a lot of these issues, based out of, of Portland. Um, who was just like clearly enraged by this. Like he told me he'd written this blog and so they basically demanded they republish it because he was so annoyed repeatedly seeing people talking as if things like autonomous vehicles were going to magically solve the transit problem. And this piece basically just said, you know, geometry is still a thing. There is still limited yeah. space in the world. You can't just keep putting cars in and expect that to sort of magically sort everything out. And I do think like well, there is this kind of utopian thinking around it sometimes that people do just sort of think, well, you know, we'll t- if if we have autonomous vehicles, we can take out some car parks and that will solve everything as if, you know, 
induced traffic wasn't a phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people are going to be taking more trips if they have access to more transportation. Um, and then the congestion issue is a major one, especially in large cities. I mean, New York City and, and San Francisco downtown are already seeing the effects of having too many vehicles with, um, you know, Ubers and Lyfts waiting for people to, to you know, call them up on their phone. They're just kind of swarming. And uh, I think it's actually causing a problem. So, it, it, the geometry is an issue, and Jarrett's uh, very adamant about that. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Elon Musk or somebody blocks him <laughs> from from giving him a hard time. I know that Elon Musk has uh, blocked a couple of planners in in Canada <laughs> from giving him a hard time. So maybe uh, maybe Jarrett is next. I don't know. I, I, I think being blocked by Elon Musk is is probably a privilege, to be honest. Although it does mean that you won't <laughs> you won't be invited when when he takes the survivors of humanity off to to live on Mars. <laughs> well, you know, I hope that's not. I hope that's pretty far off. I mean, I hope I'm glad that people want to go to Mars, but I, I'm ha- I'm pretty happy here. Well, I, you live in San Francisco. Why not? So you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. So there you go. Thanks to the magic of, of Skype. That was me in London talking to Jeff Wood in San Francisco. That was, as I said before, before the start of the interview, uh, the first of two of these we're going to do. Um, we haven't quite scheduled the second one yet, but next time round, I'm going to be explaining some of the British stuff to him. Uh, I imagine we're going to talk largely about things like municipal government structures, why we need metro mayors, how we have the most centralised state in the world. Not quite sure when we're going to manage to record that, but in the meantime, you can catch up with Jeff most weeks on his own podcast, uh, where where this will also be going out. In fact, uh, that's that's called Talking Headways, and that's just hit the 150th episode. So you know we were, we were pretty smug about getting to 50, but those guys are, are way ahead, clearly. Just just one quick bit of housekeeping before we go. In the unlikely event that you're someone who particularly enjoys hearing from me, which you know. That, that could happen, right? Then I am going to be hosting a politics show called uh, Politics on FUBAR. FUBAR Radio is an internet via, uh, radio station and podcasting service which on which I, I appeared as a guest a few months ago back when the politics show was hosted by, by the Telegraph's Asa Bennett. I'm, I'm going to be taking over that role for, for a couple of weeks to see how we go. I, already did, I did one shortly before I went on holiday, which you can hear us talking about well, we talked about housing. You can probably, that's not very unpredictable, is it? But this week, we're going to move away from, from city metric kind of topics, and we're going to be talking about some of the issues in, in the LGBT community at the moment. Um, there'll be interviews with, with journalists, politicians, and campaigners. So, you know, in the event that you, you happen to, to want to hear more of me, which, you know, like I said, that's, you know, don't laugh, that could be a thing, then, then why not check it out? It's called Politics on FUBA. And if not, then, you know, fair enough. But uh, Skylines will be back next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 